Do you ever notice like that you have a weird habit that doesn't make any sense? It's really unproductive and you don't know why you started doing it, but here you are. <laughs> um, I can't think of any, but maybe I'm just unaware. <laughs> maybe I'm unaware of my bad habits. So maybe you should tell me what my bad no. habit is. <laughs> this isn't a setup. <laughs> uh, but so I, I do this thing. I've noticed where when I am peeing, then midstream, I'll reach out and I'll flush. And then I'll try to get it all out before the toilet is finished flushing. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, I accidentally end up leaving a little bit for the next person. (laughs) (laughs) It literally saves me no time. (laughs) But I do it and I don't know why. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Thought Honey Podcast. I'm Andy. And I'm Leah. And here we go with the quote of the day. Yay, it's my turn. And I get to share today's quote, which is from Fred Rogers. Um, we have quoted him before. On and we're our... not sick of it. Oh, well, ne- we're never sick of it. How many books of his do we own? All right. So today's quote from Fred Rogers is, knowing that we can be loved exactly as we are gives us all the best opportunity for growing into the healthiest of people. I He's so beautiful. like this idea a lot because there's such a drive. I see so many people doing it. I do it. You do it. Mm-hmm. You being Leah and also you, if yeah. you're listening. <laughs> um, we do all kinds of things to try to earn love mm-hmm. or to like work our way into a group, right? To feel like we belong. And we just are behaving to earn things that should be free. Like love and acceptance shouldn't be things that you have to earn. Right. Right. And that doesn't mean that people don't have to grow. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, we want to get better. I think sometimes we get a little scared that if we're radically accepting of other people as they are, that they won't feel like they need to be better. Right. And it's like this anti-personal growth sentiment. Right. the, The only people I've ever heard criticize Fred Rogers are the ones that say he told us all that we were special and... Now we're all soft and this and that and the other thing. And it's like, no, because here's the thing is healthy people know that they're worthy of love and belonging without having to work for it. Yeah. And it gives you a better motivation, a more pure and real motivation to grow as a person and be better if you're doing it for the sake of learning and growing and being better rather than doing it for the sake of earning love from other people whose opinions you care about. Right. Imagine all of that effort that you put into gaining acceptance and love from everyone, feeling like you're constantly making choices that will gain you the most acceptance and love. Imagine if that just was filled, that bank account was just filled, all that energy could go towards, yeah, you bettering yourself in general or helping others feel loved. (laughs) Well, then what would teenagers do? (laughs) No, <laughs> that's what being a teenager is, is trying to right? earn you acceptance and love from me. other people. And that's all, you know, you're trying to fit in yeah, it's other tough. people. Those are tough and, years. Yeah. And I think it, we have to be careful with each other to not make love conditional. like a currency or a conditional thing. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with uh, like with our kids, mm-hmm. right, where they have to do something to get positive comments from you. Mm-hmm. I think it's important that sometimes we just say nice things to our kids because they're our kids and we love them. And it doesn't mean that you're like praising them for things they didn't do. Mm-hmm. It's just telling them things that you like about them. It's telling them that, that, that you love them just because they're your kid. Right. Maybe worry less about, oh, no, if I, you know, 
treat my child this way, they're going to become soft and the cruel world is going to, you know, break them or something. So that's my job. <laughs> like yeah, that seems backwards. It turns out that people are more likely to be at their best when they feel emotionally and psychologically safe. And we feel that when we feel loved and accepted and like we don't have to earn that. Mm -hmm. It gives us a really stable place to work from. Whereas if we're working from a place of anxiety, where we mm -hmm. have to worry about those kinds of things all the time, and we have to worry about earning you know, this love and this acceptance. And notice I'm not saying approval and trust and commitment. Those are things you absolutely have to earn from people. Yeah. But love and acceptance should not be on the list. And it just turns out that we're, we're our best selves when we're working from that assumption that we're lovable, that we can belong somewhere, that we don't have to be different than we are for someone to care about us. How many of us as adults are trying to unlearn or trying to learn that, I guess? Yeah, it's sometimes it's hard to stop trying to work for it because a lot of times it's there, like someone is trying to give it to you free. Mm -hmm. And you're over there not recognizing that there's this gift and you're working really hard trying to get it and you're kind of missing that it's or you just even, there. Or you even feel guilty. Like somebody's just like, oh, yeah, I unconditionally care about you. And you're like, what, why? What, what am I? And like for me, it kind of gives me anxiety where I'm just like, I feel like I'm not giving as much as I'm, you're giving. <laughs> like, And it's it's making me feel anxious about it. Well, and isn't the question you ask, well, what did I do to deserve that? Like I didn't yeah. do anything. Yeah. And that's the whole point. You don't have to do, do something to be worthy of love, right? Here, here. All right, now it's time for buzzword, Andy. All right, so today's buzzword is the first installment of Gottman's Four Horsemen. Mm. So the Four Horsemen, just to give you a little bit of background, are these four uh, behaviors that show up in marriages that uh, John Gottman discovered in his research are really important for the health of a couple. And the presence of these behaviors are very much related to whether or not that couple stays together in the mm -hmm. long run. So expect to hear the other three down the road at some point. Um, but the first of the four horsemen is criticism. Mm -hmm. So criticism is when you attack a person's character or who they are instead of, say, making a complaint about their behavior. Mm -hmm. So, oh, for example, instead of, hey, you usually don't help me with the dishes, what I say is you're lazy, right? Mm -hmm. Lazy is an adjective. It's a descriptive word. Mm -hmm. And guess what? If you think about yourself, you probably don't think about yourself as lazy. Or you don't care about me. Yeah, so that actually brings up another piece of this. So... First of all, criticism is negative adjectives about your character rather than about your behavior. I.e. Right? you're lazy. Right. Okay. So what you brought up is an example of uh, me essentially putting thoughts in your head or assigning feelings to you that aren't oh, necessarily right. true. Right. So me saying you don't care about me. Right. That's an accusation. I'm telling you how you feel, which may uh -huh. or may not actually be how you feel. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I'm wrong. I could, I could absolutely be right. You might not care about me. But... I'm not going to be really receptive and it's not really productive mm -hmm. for you to say that to me, right? So not, oh, well, you just, you think that you're smarter than me or mm -hmm. you don't care about me, mm -hmm. things like that. Right. That pegs a thought and feeling on your partner that they don't get to own and they might even become defensive because they're like, hey, hey, like that's not exactly how I feel or that's out of, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So this actually, criticism provokes one of the other four horsemen, just a preview, is defensiveness. Okay. So we'll talk yeah. about that. 
Um, so the idea here is instead of making criticisms, we want to talk about behavior, make reasonable mm-hmm. complaints instead of attacks on the person. Uh, before we move to behavior, though, I also want to say one of our favorite criticisms, um, and I, I'd say this shows up in marriage more often, it shows up in parenting, mm. is when it is attitude. If you've ever been a teenager, which you have, unless mm-hmm. you're 12 or younger, um, <laughs> or some weird origin story, um, or if you have teenagers in your house that you parent currently, mm-hmm. we all know that the favorite criticism of teenagers is you need an attitude adjustment or I don't like your attitude or I need Mm -hmm. you to have a better attitude. And I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager and people told me they didn't like my attitude or I needed an attitude adjustment, I was like, I don't actually know what that means. Yeah, it's super (laughs) ambiguous. And it just, it does. Oh my gosh, that I've never thought of it before. But to me, that's like the most rawest form of just telling someone I hate your character. Like for a teenager who's like, I don't even know who I am yet. And you're telling me you don't like who I am. Yeah, it's, it's, it really is an I don't like you is what yeah. it feels like. And so, for example, if you have a teenage son, let's say he comes home from school and he slams the door, kicks his shoes at the wall, throws his backpack on the floor and stomps up the stairs and doesn't talk to anybody until dinner, mm-hmm. right? So is it fair to say he has a bad attitude? Probably, but... Would it be helpful to say that to him? Yeah, I, I've no. never <laughs> seen you have a bad attitude. I've never seen that conversation go well anywhere mm-hmm. at work. Marriage, family, friends, I've never seen that actually help anything. And so what if instead, and this isn't the natural thing to say, but I promise it's more productive, if you say to your son, hey, when you come home and you slam the door and you throw your things down and you go upstairs and don't talk to anybody until dinner, we get worried about if you're okay, Uh, if you need some space, that's totally okay. We just want to know that that's what you're doing, Mm -hmm. that you need some space. Maybe try not to slam the door. (laughs) Yeah, we'd appreciate not breaking the things. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's the behavior, right? And it allows you to show, the thing it allows you to do is to show concern. Mm -hmm. When I start out with you have a bad attitude, there's no room really for me to, it's weird to say you have a bad attitude and we love you and we want you to change. Like, like, what are you supposed to say there? Yeah. Right. And so when you talk about behavior instead of attitude, instead of character, instead of these other things, it opens up a whole different conversation Right. And so what we really want to focus on is the behavior. And so if you have a problem with your spouse Mm -hmm. right, and you need to bring it up to them, then what you want to be thinking is what is the actual behavior, maybe the impact that this is having on me? What is it that I really need to tell them? Yeah. And if you can't come up with a behavior, then first of all, rethink whether or not it's actually a problem. Yeah. And second of all, that's a that's a good signal to you that you're not ready to have the conversation Mm -hmm. if you can't name a behavior. Right. All right. So one other quick thing on criticism is when you use absolutes like always and never, mm-hmm. like a Sith. Oh, yeah. Always, yeah. That's they, true. Only a Those Sith deals always in absolutes, get you in tr- right? Did you say they always get you in trouble? <laughs> they always get you in trouble. See? <laughs> this is our problem. Never no. say never. <laughs> and Because here's the thing is if um, if you say to me, hey, you never helped me with the dishes. What's the first thing I'm going to think of? Yes, I do. All the times that I've helped you. <laughs> I'm going to think of the one time that I've done it right. Well, last Wednesday after dinner when our friends were here and some other people were watching, I you know, I helped yeah. you with the dishes. And now, not only are you wrong, uh-huh. but somehow we do an equal amount of dishes is where that conversation ends up going. Right. And uh, so do yourself a favor and be a little more accurate, right? So instead of always and never, sometimes, frequently, three times in the last week. Right. Often. Did yeah. I say often already? Nope. 
at frequently. times, mm -hmm. here and there, now and that there's so many options. You literally never have to say always and never. Never have to say always and never. Always <laughs> use something less absolute. Right? <laughs> so talk about behavior, avoid criticism, right? And your conversations are going to go a lot better, generally yeah. speaking. Absolutely. Good, good advice there. Horseman number one. <laughs> Why do you do that? Weirdo? The apocalypse is drawing nigh. The apocalypse of your marriage. Oh. <laughs> All right. So more marriage talk. All right. So now, now we get to ask Andy kind of a little bit about what he does as his perfect. Well, not currently. <laughs> Let's say that the four horsemen are running rampant in your marriage and you decide we need to go to therapy. Right. right. And We've so been criticizing each other right and left. The biggest question is, what is marriage counseling like? Like a lot of the hindrance of going to marriage counseling might be the fear of what happens. Yeah. And that's especially counseling. that seems to be especially true for men. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what marriage counseling should look like, what you should look for in a marriage counselor, mm -hmm. and also maybe address some maybe reasons why you would go. I was going to say preconceptions that are wrong. Oh, okay. But yeah, also yeah. that. Sure. We'll get into all of it. Okay. But the first thing is, is let me tell you what would happen if you decided to come to therapy, mm -hmm. right? What I would do is I would, first of all, spend some time getting to know you. One of my first questions that I always ask once I've asked like my basic therapy questions, right, is how did you meet, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me how you met. Tell me kind of your story, the story of your relationship. And that's where I would start. Generally, I'd ask that first before I even ask what your problem is. Mm -hmm. And then I would say something like, once you went from that, I would say, okay, and then how did we get here? Mm -hmm. Like, what are we here to do? And just so you know, marriage counselors don't see couples that come to marriage counseling as necessarily being dysfunctional. So one of the things that I want to just really be clear about is when you go to marriage counseling, regardless of what you think and what your friends think, marriage counselors don't think that only dysfunctional people go to marriage counseling. So you don't feel mm -hmm. like you have to have a huge problem or be on the brink of divorce. In fact, I would much rather work with couples that are like, hey, we just want to do some maintenance. Or when they've got a smaller problem that hasn't been festering for 10 years, I would much rather work with you in year one than year 10 of yeah. that problem. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, if it's year 10, don't think that I'm going to be mad at you or frustrated. Right, you're or not be in like, trouble. Yeah, it's just don't don't wait too long because marriage counselors, good marriage counselors won't treat you like you're super dysfunctional just by the fact that you're there. Well, in marriage counseling, like, Almost all of well, like all therapy, it, it takes time and it takes multiple sessions. And so going into a marriage counselor when you're on the brink of divorce is like going to the doctor when your cancer has mastized like all over your body. Yeah. Metastasized. What's the word? <laughs> Not mastized. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So go sooner than later. And for everybody, I would just love it if friends and family members would not assume that if a couple is in marriage counseling, that their marriage is on the rocks. Right? Like, like it's a doom, like it's like a, a stamp of failure. A stamp of failure. Yeah. <laughs> so I assume, I, I imagine, I assume that one of the biggest things that people fear when it comes around to seeing a marriage counselor is they're worried that the therapist is going to take one side. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't do it doesn't do you any good for, for me to blame somebody. And so that fear is typically bigger than I think reality is going to reflect. 
in counseling. Yeah. Um, I think most counselors kind of see through that. I mean, we've, we've heard enough stories that we kind of know what to look for and we know what to listen for to figure out what's going on in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And we're not as easily convinced to a person's side as you might think. We've been, I mean, therapists are the most lied to profession, <laughs> I would say. Next to dental hygienists, I floss all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right next to dental hygienists. And so, um, yeah, we're not perfect, but trust our judgment. Like, mm-hmm. we see through things better than you think. Mm-hmm. And even though we might not let on in the moment, you know, we're, we're giving you more benefit of the doubt than you think we are yeah. at times. So mm-hmm. I would say worry a little bit less about that, right? Give it a shot and make sure you speak up, mm-hmm. right? Don't just sit there and wait for your spouse to tell the whole story and then be like, yep, I knew this. Was, I mean, don't, yeah, don't make it a self-fulfilling pros- prophecy, right? Mm-hmm. Engage in the process and that's going to help you a lot. So one other thing I just want to reassure people of I mean, we've talked a little bit about when you come in, you know, I'm going to interview you, get to know you, things like that. I think that's what most people would do. Don't worry so much about the therapist taking one person's side over the other, mm-hmm. right? Also make sure you speak for yourself. Um, one thing that is really, really important, and this isn't just with marriage counseling, this isn't any kind of therapy, is tell your therapist if what they're doing is not working for you or mm. if you're concerned with it. Yeah. Like I would get, it would happen all the time with clients where, you know, one person would come in and it was, it kind of felt like their week mm-hmm. where they were going to use up more of the airtime than the other person. And I try to get a balance all around, but it's just, you know, sometimes one person needs to talk more than the other. Mm-hmm. And if I got that balance off where one person was feeling like they weren't being heard or like we weren't going the direction that they wanted to or talking about what they needed to talk about, I always appreciated it when they would speak up and say, hey, I don't think we need to go there. I think this is more where we need to go. Or if they would say, I feel like you're not listening to me. You're just listening to this other person. Right. Right. When you say that to your therapist, it gives them a chance to actually meet your needs. So don't Mm -hmm. don't feel like they're not mind readers. You just have to sit there. Like, well, you're the expert. I'll just, you know, follow your lead. Mm-hmm. Like, engage in the process because while I might be the expert in terms of therapy and how to help your relationship, you're the one that has to be the expert on your marriage. You are in the relationship. You yeah. know it better. <laughs> yeah. So you have to engage and tell me when it's not working for you. Mm-hmm. And so I would just encourage anyone going to therapy to know you're not just at the mercy of whatever your therapist does. You can also tell them, this is what I need from you for this to work for me. Yeah. Right. And so don't forget that. It's good advice. So I imagine, Andy, as a marriage and family therapist, how do you feel when you see therapists in general or couples therapists specifically on like TV or movies? Like how does that make you feel? (laughs) Therapists in general, it's hit and miss. Couples therapists are almost always bad. Mm -hmm. Like frankly, it's cringy. And I'm like, man, if I talk to people like that, they would not, they would not come back to therapy, I yeah. don't think. Um, but I'm curious, what do you think of when you think of couples therapy based on TV? If you were just basing what couples therapy is based on TV shows and movies that you've seen, mm-hmm. what would that be like? Um, I, can't, I can't think of a very specific show that shows a couples therapist right off the bat. But ones that I can think of, like in general, 
is it's like on the woman's side all the time. It's like this. Oh, the man is the mess up. He's a dummy. Like it's the, it's the. <laughs> you have to say it with that tone. <laughs> it's the stupid. It's the it's the incompetent husband and the poor wife. And you got to get yourself together, man, or else she's like you should leave it. You know, it's this mm-hmm. therapist say things like so bluntly, and and it does seem like it's always on like the woman's side. Um. And, and, and honestly, like when I think of therapists, I don't know if any of you guys have seen the Santa Claus with Tim Allen, but like that was probably my first recollection of seeing a TV therapist with the sweaters. Neil, was that his name? I think so. (laughs) Where he's just a pudding face. Like he's just. Okay. So therapists are pudding faces. What a pudding face. Um, So one of the other things you see all the time is when it shows up in TV. uh Uh-huh is uh usually the therapist ends up sleeping with one of the oh gosh in the marriage that happens all the time in tv and in the movies in real life the odds that a therapist is going to sleep with your spouse because you went to therapy very 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 low that is a common stereotype now i'm thinking about like the first wives club that was one where it was like it's because in tv they're looking for drama which means affairs Mm -hmm. and the other thing is that for me, TV therapists, TV couples therapy is pretty cringy. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I think of is it's like the overacted, overdone, would you turn to her and tell her how you feel? Oh, my gosh. Where it's or like role plays. super condescending. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's weird. Like expect therapy to be so much more conversational than what you see on TV. Like if you go to therapy, if you go to couples therapy and that person acts like a cringy TV actor therapist, or if one. they sleep with your spouse, go find a new therapist. <laughs> like 100%. And go maybe find report a new therapist. them. <laughs> yeah, and maybe report them. <laughs> we'll be back after this. Are you sick and tired of feeling sure of yourself? Do you feel overburdened with confidence? Are you bored of assuming that other people might actually like you? Introducing high-functioning anxiety, your quick-fix antidote to living an emotionally peaceful life. It's like magic. You can get rid of that pesky peace of mind while keeping the visible parts of your life in good order. Your high-functioning anxiety won't even show up to other people unless you tell them about it, which you won't because you want to avoid being the burden that you know you are. They say if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. But high-functioning anxiety is the real deal. Order yours today and get free overnight shipping so you can worry in a hurry. Welcome back. Uh, Right after we finished recording the commercial, we had a big old spider crawl across the floor. (laughs) And Leah screamed, woke the baby. He's not a baby. He's like over two now. He's still a baby. I guess. But anyway, so while she was gone, I put the spider in a jar because I'm that person now. I'm not a spider killer. So now we've got a um, mascot for Thought Honey, and it's not a bee. It's <laughs> like it's, it's think... hanging out in our jar, <gasps> and he's crawling around. I got a box over the jar. Leah can't handle it, but every time he moves, he should have stayed in his web. <laughs> what do you think spiders do? Do you think they just hang out in? Yes, their I think they life? should just stay in their webs. <laughs> All right. Well, he's been living in our closet probably for a long time. It's been a long time since I thought of this, but when I was in grad school, there was this, uh, he was a doctoral student. I was in the master's program. He was a doctoral student. Uh, His name was Sergio. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was pretty good 
with parenting and working with kids kind of stuff. That was mm-hmm. one of his areas. And I remember I, I had, uh, we would have supervision where our therapy was supervised as part mm-hmm. of you know, our program. And sometimes the doctoral students would, we, we would get supervision from them as part of their program. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool because we'd get to learn from all these different people. Anyway, one of the things that I remember from Sergio is we were talking about parenting and he said, really, there's three things that you got to do to be a good parent. But there's whole books written about it. There are whole books written about it. And of course, it's, you know, you can dissect it and make it more than three. Mm-hmm. But it's Tight, really so nice to blogs. think about this because everybody, I mean, we all wonder if we're being a good parent, right? I wonder if mm-hmm. I'm being a good parent. If you are a parent, yeah. I am a parent. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Apparently. Yeah, but like, don't, I mean, you think about that oh, all the time. All the time. Am are I you kidding? That's the biggest anxiety. Yeah. And we don't want to mess up our kids, and we're going to. So, I mean, we should all be apologizing to them at some point. But the idea is to mess them up as little as possible, Mm -hmm. right? And so these three things, I thought, you know, this would be really helpful, I think, in validating for everybody to hear. So this is, uh, these are the three things of parenting, all right? So the first one, and the most important one, is love your kids and make sure they know it. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, just love your kids. Right. And I love the part where it's like, make sure they know it. Like, don't leave it up to question because they're not just inherently going to know that you love them with if you never tell them, you know, and isn't that sort of like a a commonality probably for most people's experiences? They're like, oh, my dad didn't say I love you, but I guess he loved me or something like that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's happened a lot or... Um, <clears throat> Or when parents only express like love and affection and interest in their kids when their kids do something mm-hmm. praiseworthy. Mm-hmm. And like sometimes it's just got to be random, right? If you only say, you know, I love you or I'm proud of you when they They've do a thing. they something. Yeah, then that kind of sets the wrong precedent. And it's really subtle, but mm-hmm. just make sure that it's spontaneous sometimes and mm-hmm. it's not conditional, right? But just love your kids. Be affectionate. Tell them you love them. Show them that you love them. Spend time with them. Mm-hmm. Remember that that your kids knowing that you love them, loving your kids is not just saying it. It's also showing it through the time that you spend, Mm -hmm. the interest that you take in them, doing what they want to do, right? Instead of forcing your kids always to do what you want to do with them, do with them what they want to do. Yeah. Show interest in their interests. And it's hard. Yeah. I don't want to play Candyland. (laughs) You don't play Candyland usually. I'm the one that plays Candyland (laughs) with them. Right? And so, I mean, it's it's definitely Mm -hmm. not as easy as I'm making it sound, yeah. but love your kids is the mm-hmm. first one. The second one is provide them with freedom to be who they are. Yeah. Don't make them into who you think they should be. Yeah. They, they, they've come, they've come to you with their own personality and their own character traits and your job as a parent is really just to hone those and enhance, like um, amplify them, like like yeah. let them be who they are by allowing the space for them to be who they are, by accepting who they are mm-hmm. and loving them through, like that goes back to number one, but it's that, you know, allowing them to be who they are and they want to please you all the time. And if you allow them to just be who they are and you, they know that you love them. Yeah, like let them do the hobbies they want to do instead Mm -hmm. of the ones that you want them to do. Now, those might be the same sometimes, and that's Mm -hmm. okay. But, you know, it's not like, oh, I really want my kid to like this sport, so we're just going to make them do it. It's like if they express they don't want to do it, you know, let them have some choice in that, right? Let them Mm -hmm. have some freedom, some autonomy. Uh, Or in the clothes they wear. Yeah. Yeah, the clothes they wear. 
their um, hairstyle. Tons of things. Yeah. Where you can let them be themselves and not dictate too much to them. There was a TED Talk. I can't tell you who it was by, but I'll remember a line from it. It goes, the worst idea in psychology is that kids are a blank slate. Or mm-hmm. it's something along those lines. That's paraphrasing, yeah. Yeah. And I really do think it's a terrible idea. I, I don't like this idea that kids come into the world as blank, there's nothing, and you just fill them with whatever they're going to become. Right. Now, parents have huge amounts of influence, absolutely. But your kids come with some things. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. I don't I don't care if it's from a religious standpoint, if it's from a genetic standpoint, kids come with some code in mm. them that makes them who they are. And so one of the one of my favorite ways to think about this is that your your kid already comes with some things and your job is to get to know them from mm-hmm. day one more than it is to fill a blank slate. Right. And when you think of getting to know your kids and that they're going to develop and and grow in some ways independent of what you do as a parent, mm-hmm. then I think it makes it a little easier to give them that freedom, right? Recognize they're already a person. Yeah. And then the third thing is to set limits, right? Uh, to give them some, a, a container to and operate te- in. And teaching to them, them to be safe. safe. Yeah. yeah. Like, for example, um, we like to go biking with our kids. And there are certain things that Jack should not do <laughs> because he yeah. would get seriously hurt. Right. And so uh, when we're going on trails, I'll remind him, hey, don't go over that rock or don't try to go down that. And I'll Mm kind of guide him and try to set some limits to help keep him safe. Right. Right. Or things like screen time. Right. We know Mm -hmm. that kids shouldn't just watch TV all day. Right. That's not necessarily good for them. Mm -hmm. And kids don't have that ability to set their own limits yet. And so we need to make a box for them that allows them to be who they are. Yeah. But that lets them survive into a, a adulthood where they right. can actually set those limits for themselves and recognize the consequences that come when they kind of operate outside maybe what is, is going to be safe well, reasonably. And, and part of your child's security and um, just feeling safe in general, it, it's dependent on you to set boundaries as the parent. You're the one in charge. You're the grown up. They're looking to you to set those boundaries. And in fact, um, one of the things that we miss sometimes uh, is if you think about parenting styles, you may think of like a strict authoritarian mm-hmm. parent. You may think of a permissive, lenient parent, mm-hmm. right, on either side. And really what that is, is it's this continuum of, you know, the strict, more authoritarian parent might just be leaning further in the direction of um, setting limits for their kids. And the more permissive parent, it's more lenient, might be providing them with a lot more freedom. And there's lots of ranges. Yeah. There's a range here that's kind of acceptable. There's not a middle point where we're all supposed to hit. Mm-hmm. There's good parenting on both sides, but there is also a point where it's too much of a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. And my point here is that I don't mean that you should just give your kids limitless freedom, right? Because if you do that, kids actually notice that their parents don't seem to be involved in their life. They don't seem to care where they are or what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And over time, they start to wonder about that. And they're like, wait, why don't they care where I am and what I'm doing? Yeah. Like, I wish they would be more involved. Yeah. Right. And then on the other hand, you have some kids where it's like, I wish my parents would loosen up a little bit and let me try new things. And right. And so you're kind of trying to find a range that fits for you, but it's in the healthy range. Well, and you, you are the only one who knows what your children need and each child is a little unique i mean i can absolutely confess to the fact that i am not the same parent for todd that i was for jack 
and it makes kind of a hard day when I have to parent Jack a little bit differently than I parent Todd or like the things that I draw boundaries or lines or the battles that I pick Mm -hmm. are different than what I would have done for Jack at the same age as Todd right now. Yeah. And I think that's a good point. We have to be mindful of what our kids individually need. Mm-hmm. Like one of our kids is going to need a little bit more pushing to get out of his comfort zone, to try new mm-hmm. things, uh, kind of pushing him into freedom a little bit. And the other one is going to need a whole lot more restraint. And, and boundaries <laughs> He's gonna need against us to his help will. Him. <laughs> yeah. And, and so you don't necessarily have to parent your kids all the exactly same. the same. I mean, have consistent rules, so it's fair, but, you know, do what they need. And watch for signs that you're lacking in one of these areas, mm-hmm. right? Do, do your kids need more more time with you? Do they need more of the kind of the love factor? Do they need more freedom? Right? Expression. Right? And if they if they can't be trusted with that in some ways, then, then more help them understand how they can earn your trust, mm-hmm. right? It, it's kind of an ongoing process to parent your kids and to figure out what do they need and what do they need a little bit more of or a little bit less of from me right now for where they are today yeah absolutely so next time you're wondering am i a good parent really kind of boil it down to three things love your kids make sure they know it provide them with freedom to be who they are and set limits to teach them and help keep them safe and if you're doing those three things you're you're pretty awesome parent yeah you're doing just fine you're doing great all right it's time to wrap things up But before you go, let's draw a bee from the hive. That's right. And it's my turn to draw a bee from the hive. Get that bee. Get that bee. Okay. Today's bee. (laughs) Today's bee is be authentic. And your action is to think of a characteristic or something about yourself that you downplay, keep hidden, or fear being judged about and do one thing this week to let that part of you shine. I love this one. I do because it's like we all have that part of us where it's like, oh, I don't, oh, I don't want. What, mm-hmm. what if people don't like it? What mm-hmm. if it shows up and people think I'm dumb or mm-hmm. something you're overly modest about? Mm-hmm. Like, and it's just like, no, that's part of you. It's something to be proud of, and we just there are things we keep hidden. Yeah. So, what's something you're gonna do? You know, if I'm really being honest, I actually super downplay the podcast. Oh yeah, you do. Like this podcast wouldn't even happen if not for Leah. You have her to thank for it if you like it because I just can't bring myself to promote my things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know it's good. So I am going to I'm gonna make a couple of enthusiastic posts about it this week. And I'm gonna I'm just gonna push it out there, even though it's it's so uncomfortable for me. It's just this fear of like, oh, people are gonna think it's stupid or you know, or, or whatever. Um, or, oh, it's cute that Andy's doing a podcast. I'm sure someone listens to it. You know, I just, you know, it's, those are the things that I get. And so first of all, if you're listening, thank you. It means Mm -hmm. a lot. And second of all, that's my thing I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to play that up a little bit. That sounds great. Do some, a little bit of enthusiastic promoting of my own thing. That's an excellent goal. And I'm not just saying that to be like, like, I really, I don't know that that's real. To mm-hmm. me, I'm not just making that up to be like, my podcast, look at it. I mean, it's like, I have this problem. No, it's putting yourself out there. That's cool. Yeah. Good for you. What about you? Um, well, I'm kind of already on the path of um, finding my free spirit 
so what challenge should I do? Should I get a tattoo this week? I don't know. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, just don't wear a bra all week. That'd be, right? Yeah. That's a free the girls. Two free. free the babies. Free spirits. You know what? They kind of need the support. But anyway. <laughs> No, in my head, um, something that holds me back is uh, as a mom, I feel like I have to uh, live up to some image in my head that I have of what a good mom looks like and behaves like. And um, it it doesn't make space for being a free spirited mom, which is kind of weird because before I had children, I always thought, oh, I'm going to be a really cool, like free spirited mom. Turns out I'm a big ball of anxiety. And Ooh. so <laughs> and so um, I'm trying to tap into that free spiritedness. So maybe I'll finally like commit to getting those dreads in this week. Ooh. That'd be good. Yeah. I'll help. Yeah. You, no, you, no, you gar- did. no guarantees as to how as to the quality of the work. But I'm gonna I'll I'm help. gonna need your help. So we're gonna we're gonna do that. I'm gonna get dreads in. So your anxiety. I'm anxiety. Oh man, our kids have no anxiety chance. is what brings us together today. High functioning anxiety. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. If you liked today's episode, follow the podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram for more great ideas. Also, check out our blogs and learn more about us on ThoughtHoney.com. Have a great day and remember to just be yourself. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.